Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul. Uh, I grew up here, uh, came to the church for about 23 years before moving to Milton Keynes, uh, at the same time as I got married to my wife, Hannah, uh, who's over at our church in Milton Keynes called New City, uh, one of the churches you've, you've supported. And we just, every time I come, I just want to say thank you, because the, the church is growing, the work is uh, still progressing there, uh, and we are now self-sufficient financially, which was a huge, huge answer to prayer. Uh, so thank you all, uh, not only for your financial support, but your prayers as well. Uh, I served there as an elder alongside four others, and uh, yeah, we're, we're just very pleased at the moment. Rich has just come back from sabbatical, so uh, the weight has taken off us a little bit, and we've given him all of our CIO application stuff to deal with. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll get into this passage. Father, I thank you we can come here and look into your word. I pray, Lord, as we open this passage up, that you might be pleased to reveal yourself to us. I pray, Father, you will even speak to individuals here this morning and meet with them in a new way. Amen. Amen. Well, the joys of growing up here... Uh, was Sunday school on a Sunday morning. And one of the Sunday school teachers would come in every Sunday morning and he'd put his hand on my head and he'd hit his fist and look at it and go, ooh, splinters. That's right, isn't it, Phil? (laughs) You'd still get splinters. But Phil once told a story in Sunday school and it stuck with me. It was a man named George Muller. George Muller ran an orphanage in Bristol. He started off by converting his rented house to house 30 girls. And then the work outgrew that house, so he got another one. And then the neighbours started complaining about noise. So he had built a purpose-built property to house 100 orphans. In the end, they outgrew that. And at one point, he had five of these purpose-built buildings with over a 1,000 orphans in them. He never asked for money. But God moved in people's hearts to give generously to this work. On one particular morning, he was sat there before breakfast giving thanks for the food they were about to eat knowing that there was nothing in the kitchens. And the baker turned up with bread for them. The milk cart broke down outside, and they just brought the milk in. Those people were fed that morning. But George hadn't asked for any of that. He trusted in his God. We meet Paul in this passage in a position of unshakable contentment. He's able to sit and rest and trust that God is going to meet his needs. Now, you might have sat there and thought, how amazing that guy George was. How could you ever be like that? Well, the message this morning is that you can, quite simply, by trusting that God 
will meet all of your needs. But to dig into this a little bit more, I've got three points I want to look at. Firstly is generosity. Second is discipline. And finally, trust. And these three themes that run through the passage will help us just see how Paul could be quite so content in his situation and how we too can find that contentment. Firstly then, generosity. Paul testifies that he has enough because other Christians had contributed to his work. The Philippian church who he's writing to is one of these. In verse 10, you renewed your concern for me. And verse 15 and 16. Uh, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. But what's interesting to note is that the, the Philippian church had to renew their concern for him. Now, it wasn't that they'd uh, not been concerned for a short time. It was actually quite difficult to keep up with where Paul was. Uh, I went on Google to find out the difference or how far away Rome was, where Paul writes this letter from, to Macedonia. And if you go by plane, it's an hour and a half. But if you want to drive it, you've either got a 1,000 kilometers, including a ferry ride, or to go up round the top of Italy and back down to Macedonia... It's 1,800 kilometers. Both journeys will take about 18 hours without breaks. Imagine what it was like back in those days where people would largely hear things on foot. They would travel by camel or horse and a ferry that was (laughs) taken by the wind. Not always in the way it would want to go or as fast as it would go. So you can understand the the difficulty in how the Philippian church would have struggled to keep up with where Paul was. It's fair to say now, even in uh, the day and age of social media, we sometimes lose touch for a few days with what's going on, maybe with the Christians in China. We're not quite as up to date as we want to be. It's easy to lose touch But here they were, and they suddenly found where Paul was, and they felt compelled to give him a gift and to give him generously. Verse 18, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. The Philippian church was very generous. They seized the opportunity they had to give and to support his work, and they gave. Now, one of the motivations for the Philippian church to be generous can be found in 14 and 16. It was good of you to share in my troubles. They wanted to share in his troubles. They wanted to share with him, and they understood this burden that Paul had been given to go and to preach the gospel. And I believe this can only have been driven by their gratitude. In Acts 16, Paul has a vision. And a man from Macedonia begs him to come and help them. And Paul obeys. He goes straight to Macedonia. And he ends up in Philippi, where he meets 
a group of women praying by the banks of the river. And there he meets this lady, Lydia. She's heard of God and she believes in God and she's praying to God, but she hadn't heard of Jesus. So Paul tells her. He tells her about Jesus and her and her household came to know Christ. That was the start of the church in Philippi. The church grew in Philippi while Paul and Silas were there, including a jailer and his family who came to Christ when there was a great earthquake. The chains were thrown off the prisoners, the doors were opened, and the jailer's about to kill himself. And Paul stopped him. And instantly the jailer knew that earthquake was from God. And he gave his life to Christ, along with the rest of his household. The church in Philippi grew from that. They knew about God, but not about Jesus. Paul has just been and taught them the greatest bit of knowledge they could ever learn. They were forgiven for their sins, and that would have driven them to gratitude. Certainly in my testimony, there's three people. There was lots of people along the way in this, in this church, but there was three key people that God really used at certain times to move in my heart that I then gave my life to Christ. I will always be grateful for those three as well as the many others that worked hard over the years. What about you? Are you driven because of gratitude to give maybe to support the work of the church here? That the outreach might keep going? That another worker might be supported in order to be able to teach you and so that you can grow in your faith? Are you motivated by gratitude because of what Christ has done to you so that you give to external missions to support overseas work? The need project, I know that goes on here. Are you personally motivated to support that? And this being generous ties in with also then sometimes being able to trust that God is going to meet you where you are and give you what you need. The Need Project is a fantastic example of that, where food is delivered to people who haven't got it. Now for some, they'll know that something like that is coming, and others, this will just be a gift from nowhere when they needed it. And there'll be times in your life where you've received that gift. When Hannah and I had Esther, I don't think we had to cook food and prepare a meal from scratch for about four weeks because of the generosity of the church and the rolling meals that came in, filled the freezer and kept us going for that time. We endured, or enjoyed sorry, the, the generosity of our church in a time that was life-changing. And actually, it was quite a difficult period. Paul tells us as well uh, what this giving is like to God. Verse 18. I am amply supplied. Uh, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, 
an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. What does that remind you of? It's the sacrificial system. Back in the Old Testament. The first time these words are recorded uh, from Noah. Noah, after the ark, burns some meat on the altar, and the Bible records this was a fragrant offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Is Flittick Baptist Church a generous church? Is there an aroma here that is pleasing to the Lord? Are you individually a fragrant offering, pleasing to the Lord? Giving what you have to help others in need? I'm not just talking financially, it could just be time. Visiting people who are in need. Secondly, we find uh, the second theme of discipline. In this passage, uh, we can get the discipline of contentment. Our own attitudes towards circumstances. Now you'll find it's easy to complain when things are tough or don't quite go your own way. Certainly cricket fans will have been complaining over the last few days. And it's easy for Fans to jump on the backs of their football managers when they're not winning because they expect to be winning all the time. You see change after change in the Premier League because fans are not content anymore. They're not content with just being in the league. They want to win everything. But I also feel that society's changed. Social media, I don't think, helps, but we are told what we should want, what we should desire. Adverts are everywhere. There's a real push to have the latest TVs in your house, to play the latest games, to have the latest phones, to have the cleanest cars, to have the best cars, to have the newest cars, to be the one who's having an extension. There are lots of things that social media pushes us to. But also now as well, there's a real identity crisis going on. There's a real drive from social media that same-sex marriage is okay, that transgender is fine, you can be gender fluid, you can't tell a child in school, they, they teach down in the lower schools, about this parents are letting their children change their gender in lower school one minute Esther wants to be a fireman and the next minute she's happy being a book reader she doesn't know what she wants how can someone force that on a child and yet social media is telling and society is telling parents that that's okay that's normal If you're on Facebook, you'll have seen posts from lots of people going on holiday. And that's great. Go away and enjoy your holidays. But sometimes, for those of us who are here, we'll look at that and desperately want to be there. We'll want to be able to afford to go. 
We might crave the time without the children for a week or two weeks to just go and fly and flop somewhere. You see, it's all too easy for us now to covet because everyone's so open about what they have and what they want. And coveting is the opposite to being contented. And in order to teach ourselves to be content, we must first desire not to covet. We are to be happy with everything that God gives us. Paul here knows he needs gifts in order to keep preaching and everything that comes with that. Food, a bed for the night, some way of traveling, finance for a ferry maybe. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need. Verse 17, not that I desire your gifts. Now Paul's not being rude for the gift he's been given by the Philippians. But what he's doing, he's saying thank you in a way that protects himself from coveting. He knows he needs those gifts, but he's not making an idol out of them. He's not actively seeking them. He just is seeking God and knows that God will provide for his work because he's been tasked by God to do this work. Remember David, how much David, King David, had been given. And yet he goes up on the rooftop and he covets something. And his name is tarnished because he coveted and he took something. He was not content with what God had given him. What about Joseph, sold as a slave to Egypt? Serves as a slave, thrown into prison, and eventually made the second uh, in command in Egypt. He showed content. He was happy to just serve his God no matter what, whatever situation he found himself in. So that then, when his brothers turned up at his door, hungry, he could say to them, you sold me, Because God had this in mind. He was content. Paul was similar to Joseph. Circumstances no longer had the power to touch him. He was content with what God gave him. Another thing to note, verse 11, this contentment was also something that had been learned. Now it might have been that he... He learned straight away when Christ met him on his way to Damascus and told him what his mission was. He learned then that God would give him everything he needed. It could have been that. It could have been another situation not recorded for us. Or what's more likely is that it was over his time and he just learned to trust God little by little. That There was a shortfall. And somehow it came. God gave him the money. On the FIC Leaders Conference last year, I got chatting to someone who was talking about an extension they were doing. 
And there was, what they were trying to do was get rid of the parking, basically, and double the size of their church. And they went to the planning meeting, and there were six planners there. And one by one, they went along, and, and they refused it. So the church went back to the drawing board and came back. They did some more consultation. At this point, all of the elders came in, and they sat up in the top, and they prayed while this planning application was going through. And one by one, the answer was no. Until one guy stood up at the end. And he made a very compelling argument for the church. And during that meeting, the minds of the councillors were changed and they approved the work of this church. There was a need there for the church to grow. It had reached its limit. And they trusted that God would give them what they needed in order to do this work. Likewise, when they then started to build the work, the finances weren't quite there. And lo and behold, come the end of the project, God had provided the finances. Paul would have had small occasions like that where he would have learnt. It could have been a simple meal. He was hungry one evening and someone said, come to my house, I've got some food for you. And there he was. And Paul would have given the glory to God for that. And slowly, he would have learnt that God would provide. And he says this. um, The second part of verse 12, I have learned the secret. And it's a Greek verb which was used in the Greek mystery religions to describe people who had worked their way up through the various lower degrees and finally been admitted into the full possession of the mystery itself. And Paul says, I have made my way up slowly, detaching myself from the things of this world, its comforts and its discomforts, until finally I have reached maturity on this point. I know the secret. Circumstances can never touch me again. I'll give you an example from the Old Testament. The Israelites were journeying from Egypt in Exodus 17. And we read, And he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? In Psalm 81, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Massa and Meribah were not accidents along the way, but acts of God to test the faith of his people. But the people met the test in a spirit of faithlessness. They tried to force God's hand. If God is really with us, this would never have happened. We wouldn't be wandering around the desert. Let him deliver us and we'll trust him. They tested God. How different was their reaction from the purpose of God? If they had trusted God, how trustworthy would they have found him? The discipline of contentment then is bound up in trust. That's the third thing I want to draw out. Paul's contentment brings about trust, and his trust brings about contentment. 
Because being fully contented in God means giving the glory to God in everything, thereby bringing us to trust God more and more. Have a look at verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. What was it that Paul gave God glory for? Verse 10, the Philippians had remembered him. Verse 12, for times when he was in need and for times when he was not. Verse 15, for the churches that remembered him and for those that didn't. Paul gave glory to God for all of them. And he accepted that every situation he found himself in was from God. Paul had learned that God was trustworthy and to be glorified, even when situations around him looked like God wasn't to be glorified. He continued to give God the glory, and Paul had learned to be content because he'd learned to trust. And Paul says these words from verse 13, because experiences had taught him to trust God. I can do all this through him, who gives me strength. Now Paul finds his daily situations to overcome situations by knowing that his strength comes from Christ. Paul would have seen Christ's power at work as he travelled and shared the gospel. I've already told you of how the earthquake shook the jail he was in. That God's name might be spread. And the jailer and his family came to Christ. Paul had more times like this. Just think of his conversion. He's walking along to Damascus to go and persecute the Christians. And Christ meets him. And Saul is changed to Paul as we know him. The man of God who shared the gospel. Paul again knew his strength came from Christ because of his personal experiences. But there's another reason why he knew his strength came from Christ and why he could trust that it would. Paul knew the Old Testament scriptures. And I want to think a little bit more about this word through. In some translations it's in. You see, we now are saved through Christ's shed blood on the cross. The lamb that was slaughtered. Paul would have celebrated every year the Passover in which the lamb was slaughtered and blood was put on the top of the doorframe and down the side at the first Passover that the Israelites would be protected as God swept through And killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians. The Israelites were saved through the Lamb's blood. Just like we are. Through the Lamb's blood. And Paul then knew he could sit and say with confidence. That I can do all things through he who gives me strength. Because the one who gave him strength gave everything, his one and only son, that the sins of the world might be met. For those who believe, 
and to be forgiven. That's where Paul was. And I want to ask you this morning, are you open to experiencing Christ's power in your life? In whatever situation you find yourself in, are you prepared to reach out and to pray and ask for more of Christ, to experience Christ? I think there's two ends of the scale. You can have some on one hand that that base everything on experiences. And you have, on the other hand, those who are quite academic and have a very good knowledge of the Bible. But I really believe we need to be somewhere in the middle and we need to experience Christ. So when you face times, maybe arthritis sets in and you're self-employed and you wonder... How am I going to be able to afford? You ask Christ to come and walk with you. And you want to experience Christ. What about those times where maybe your back goes and you're sat there and you can't do anything? Do you ask Christ to come and to fill you? What about when your spouse dies? And you have to learn to walk a path on your own for the first time in years. Do you ask that Christ come and fill you? And you experience Christ? What about the musicians on a Sunday morning? Do you ask that you must first worship here and then lead the church in worship? to experience more of Christ. For those of you who go out preaching or even teaching, do you seek Christ first in the passage that you're going to be opening up? That you might experience Christ more? You'd be amazed at how much you could get out of a children's talk yourself Just speak to the Sunday school leaders. Are you open, Flitic Baptist Church, to experiencing more of Christ? Whatever that looks like for the church as it goes forwards, trust in him that he will meet and supply all your needs, that the work here might continue. George Muller was able to do that. He was able to trust that Christ would provide for him everything he needed to serve these orphans. And he found the secret to being content, which was trusting in God. And it's found through generosity in that You yourself might be generous to meet other people's needs. But also there are times where other people will be generous to meet your needs. We must also learn to discipline ourselves not to cover, not to want the things that we don't need. But just to want what God wants for us.
to be content in any and every situation. But also trust that God will give us what we need, not only in this life, but in the life to come. What we don't have now, that the world chases afterwards, because we have a hope in heaven, riches beyond measure, blessings upon number, an eternity with God, because Christ died for us. Let me pray. Father, I pray you will help us to be content with what we have, to not seek the things that we don't need, but to learn little by little to trust you more. And I pray, Father, that you will find hearts that want to know more of Christ, to experience more of Christ. Yes, that our knowledge might uh, deepen as well, but the we might really experience the living Christ. Father, I pray that as we come searching and wanting, that we will find you and fill us anew, I pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing as we respond to this.